okay, so I'm getting a, a thumbs up from, this is notoriously, okay. So today I'm, I'm talking about praise and worship. Um, in my school, in British schools, we have something called P, PSHE, uh, which is Personal, Social, Health and Economic Education. Uh, in recent years, uh, it's changed its name to the more fashionable name of well-being. Uh, and at least once a year when I run it with diff the different year groups, what they do uh, is they ask, uh, I, I ask the students to list the most popular, so the most important things to them. And I might give them a list like this. These, these are things that might be important to, uh, to my students, my pupils. Um, and sometimes we get them to draw a with, uh, on a blank piece of paper, uh, a big me in the middle, and then concentric circles going outwards and ask them to place these things on them. Um, and it's interesting, always interesting to see how people place different things uh, in terms of their importance. And you sometimes get some surprises, uh, but mostly you see family and friends near the center and then work going out all the way to the, the edge, especially when you're uh, at school. Uh, you, really don't want to care about work too much and ideas of security are just very um, abstract um, for some more than others. Now in boarding schools like mine, uh, each pupil is assigned an individual tutor who's supposed to, supposed to meet and chat with the pupils once a week. And it's not always easy to find something to talk to them about. Um, but I usually break the ice after just seeing how they're doing and how their work week was. Uh, I usually break the ice with a question like, uh, what was the worst thing that happened this week? And what was the best thing that happened this week? What was the thing that you looked forward to most this week? Or what was the thing that, is there anything that made your week? And again, that's telling. What, and I want you to think about what was the highlight of your week this week? It could have been uh, meeting up with a certain person because obviously we're separated with, from people. It may have been a Skype with your, with your family. It could have been work. It could have been uh, going to work on Monday morning. Some of you, I'm sure, love your work. It could have been uh, finishing on the Friday afternoon and you having the weekend or, and have, or sleeping in on Saturday morning, or it could have been a specific meal that you enjoy your favorite food. You see, we have these things that uh, we look forward to. And sometimes these things become things that our life and our, our, our world, our week revolves around. Well, that soon becomes worship. If we're not if not, we're not careful, that soon becomes worship, doesn't it? Tim Keller um, says this, everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. As Christians, we believe that we were made to worship God. And so if we're not worshiping God, then we will worship something. 
Now let's read uh, the Bible and let's see what the Bible says. Uh, we are in Romans 12, looking at the ESV version. It's on the screens if you want to, to see it. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by uh, the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pray before we go on. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, uh, very clear and uh, very applicable to this time and this life. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can uh, learn from it, we can read it, we can hear your voice through it, that you have given us your spirit, as you've promised, to reveal the truths to us. Lord, we pray that we can uh, not just absorb the knowledge, the, but also understand it and apply it in our lives. And as we go through the week, we can continue to love you and worship you and, uh, and live our lives worthy of your, you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm continuing our uh, series on the core values of the church. Um, normally we would take passages and we would expound those, uh, but at this time of the year we take uh, the core values. Uh, and what I've done, uh, what I'm doing is changing from the 10 core values that originally had to the more, slightly more summarized seven uh, values that we put up on the wall. So. Here's what the wall uh, we, we put on the wall for praise and worship. Uh, you guys who've been to the church, you will recognize this. Um, Jesus deserves the worship of the world, how we live each day. Welcome new people, give and serve our community through, through the church. Uh, has a direct impact on how the people around us perceive the Lord and his kingdom. In many ways, this reflects uh, very much what's said in, in Romans 12.1. And I'm sure as Greg uh, was writing this, uh, he had Romans 12.1 and 2 very much in his mind. Now, some of you know, because I've, I've told you this in the past, I've preached on this in the past, and I've mentioned this, that when I was a teenager growing up in the Chinese church in London, I was being prepared to be one of the worship leaders in the church. And I had a bit of an obsession about it and, and leading uh, the music. And I carried on doing that at the Christian Union at university. Uh, and that's the route I thought I was going to go until God told me differently and showed me that the same gifts for that were to be used in teaching. Um, and... Um, and that route wasn't was no longer. And to be honest with you, that you know, I should have seen that coming because I'm not that musical. Um, I sing loudly and usually hit the right notes, so um, that's uh, that's quite nice. But um, I'm not sure uh, it would be useful further along the road for for being a, a music leader. Uh, but at the time, because I was so involved in all of that scene, uh, Romans 12 is one of the main passages about worship. And so it became not only uh, a, a passage that could roll off my tongue, 
Um, I remembered it as the, as the ESV version. Um, but also it was kind of hammered into us whenever I went to a workshop on worship. Uh, this Romans 12.1 was hammered into us and repeated and repeated. Uh, there's, and there's a lot in these two verses, even in just verse 1, and I'm mostly going to be looking at verse 1, uh, but then it's reflected in verse 2. Um, so let's just take a little while to unpack it. So let's have a look firstly at verse 1. Uh, we see that we must present our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, the first readers, whether they be Jew or Gentile, would understand the idea of sacrifice all too clearly. We see sacrifices in, in the Old Testament times, and we even see it now. Uh, the, so many other religions are still having sacrifices, and the idea of it is that blood and death, the death of something living, that is a substitution for you, dying in your place. So this is not something to take lightly. This is, it was a substitution of life for life. So to offer our lives as a sacrifice means that we should be giving our whole bodies to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, as a, as a living sacrifice. But more importantly, in the Christian life, how are we asked to do that? How do we do that? How are we able to do that? You see, the ESV here, uh, here says, by God's mercy, by the mercies of God. In the NIV, I learned in view of God's mercy. And uh, as a, a translation, um, I like to think of it is. Because of God's mercy, we are able to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And because of the phrasing here, we see that in any of those tran uh, translations, the giving of our bodies over as living sacrifices is not to earn us favor in God's eyes. But it's as a result of God's mercies. By the mercies of God. It's not to earn the mercies of God. There is no way to earn the mercies of God, but it's because of those mercies. This is solely as a response to what God has already done. The mercy that the Apostle Paul is talking about here is the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The death of no less than God himself taking the punishment that we deserve, the punishment for our sins. So it's because of that sacrifice, the Bible talks about us being bought, Paul talks about us being bought by that sacrifice, that in response to that, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. So what does this mean? It means that God has already done everything to justify us. Unlike every other religion in the world. Now, C.S. Lewis was once asked, I've uh, repeated this many times because it's so important uh, for us to understand. C.S. Lewis was once asked, you know, he, he, the story goes, he stumbled upon a conference of uh, uh, 
you know, major Christian leaders from around the, the world. And then he was ushered in because it was C.S. Lewis. Um, and he, he was asked, what is different about Christianity? And he said, grace. See, you see, the uniqueness of Christianity is that we have been given everything already. We have been forgiven already. God has done everything already to justify us. In God's sight, we are already pure and perfect. It doesn't matter that we've just done a very selfish act or we've just been mean to somebody or we've just broken the law. We've just done something that is, would sully us in God's sight because Jesus has died for that sin. And so God sees us as he sees Jesus because Jesus was pure and perfect. And so we can do nothing more to earn God's favor. And that's a really important lesson for us to learn. So this giving our bodies as living sacrifices to God and his service is in response to the mercies of God. And that's something that we should really be teaching other people and especially parents. And I know this as a, as a teacher who was responsible to, for children. And this is what I try and model. Something to teach your children. They should need nothing to earn your love. We all know kind of the image of uh, the parent who is disapproving and turns away, that is a, obviously a horrible image. But the children should do nothing to earn your love. And we know that in healthy relationships, the love, with that love comes security of knowing unconditional love. And only in that situation can children, can loved ones, can partners flourish by responding to that unconditional love. And that's what we have here, isn't it? We have the mercies of God, not because you, uh, your worship will earn you any more of God's love, but it's as a response to God's love that we give our lives to God. And you see in the very next uh, part, it says, holy and acceptable to God. Well, part of growing and uh, being a Christian and growing as a Christian is understanding more and more the depths of our sin, the depths of our selfishness, our re rebellion. And so how is it possible that as sinned, as flawed and for, uh, fallen uh, as we are, we can be holy and acceptable to God? The very last part says, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is impossible, isn't it? Because we are inherently selfish people. If you talk to agnostics or atheists, they will accept that freely. Uh, but they'll laugh at it. Well, I'm as good as everyone else. I'm probably better than on average. Most people will think that they're better on average than everyone else. 
I am, yeah, but how can we be holy? That means set apart and acceptable and perfect. Well, this is the same thing, isn't it? This is uh, the great work that Jesus completed on the cross. He died for us that we are washed clean to be made holy and acceptable as a sacrifice to God. Only now can we be acceptable as a sacrifice to God. This is very much, those of you who know your Old Testament, this is very much the imagery of the Lamb. In Egypt, as the angel of death was sweeping through Egypt, the Passover lamb had to be without blemish, perfect, to be sacrificed. And so the angel of death would pass over their house and leave the firstborn sons of Israel, of God's people, that they might live. We see this idea of a life for a life. Jesus' life for ours to make us clean. And therefore, we are holy and acceptable, and therefore, we can give our bodies as a living sacrifice for God in response to what he's done. You see, given this, I, I still am uncomfortable at the thought of calling myself a worship leader, and, and even the calling music, I, I know I slip into it as well, uh, calling music worship. Um, I don't mind that much so much, but calling, remembering of calling myself as a worship leader. You see, the only person who can lead us into worship, surely, is Jesus himself. Because worship is our lives. He is the only one who can make us pure and perfect, holy and acceptable. Ready to be that sacrifice in response to his love and his own sacrifice. Because he led the way. And that's where, as Christians, we're called to follow. So the only worship leader really should be Jesus. And I know what people mean when they do say that they're a worship leader. Uh, I think there should be possibly uh, a different word for that. We should probably use a different uh, word for that. But it does make me uncomfortable because of that. Now let's have a look back at the passage, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this word, it's bandied around lots nowadays, but it's become very muddied, this word spiritual. It seems to have lost its me meaning. Uh, it seems to be uh, you, people are you know, going away for spiritual retreats. Maybe it's yoga, maybe it's meditation. Uh, maybe it's just a chill-out weekend in a, in a beautiful location. If you go out onto the street and you were to ask a dozen different people what it means, I doubt you would get the same response from two people, any of the two people. Uh, it, what does it mean here? Let's have a look at what it means here. Um, it certainly doesn't mean something that is separated from the physical, is it? We know from, the, from elsewhere, we, we know that the, the Bible talks about the, the flesh being weak and the, the spirit being willing, but the flesh being weak. But those are still very much tied together. Do you see here, if we are presenting our bodies, then our spiritual worship is very much physical, isn't it? So when asked, when do you worship? I think uh, that 
uh, about the week ahead, and I'm going to ask a really silly question. You know, I like to ask obvious questions because you know, to my students because it gives them a confidence in asking, knowing that at least they will get something right. I want them to get something right and feel good about themselves. Uh, but I also tell Bible study leaders to uh, avoid uh, asking silly questions because uh, you probably know that the silence that follows uh, that really obvious question is really awkward. And especially when nobody answers it, or maybe the same person answers it every time. I don't know whether you're that same person. I sometimes feel I have to be because I'm a teacher or I'm an elder at the church or, you know, um, it's, I'm one of the organizers of the Bible study. If nobody are answering, but, you know, everybody knows the answer and it's just hanging there. So I sometimes say to Bible study leaders, the only time you should be asking that question is to build up momentum. Uh, who does the sir represent? Well, God. Who does the seed represent? The word of God. Uh, what does the seed represent? The word of God. And that builds up momentum. And if there isn't an immediate answer, you tell them they're being silly. Come on, this is obvious. Now, here's an obvious question. Where in the next week are you going to go without your body? Is there going to be a time that you're going to be somewhere in the next week without your body? And if you answer that there is a time, then please do come and see me. Um, we probably will have to have a talk, talk about that. Um, but the answer should be obvious, shouldn't it? There's nowhere that we go without our body. So, the question is, when do we worship and where do we worship if we are presenting our bodies as living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship to God, then it, surely it's everywhere we go. Everywhere we go this next week or for the rest of our lives. If that is our spiritual act of worship, that is where we should be worship. Now, don't get me wrong. We worship at church. Yes. We worship when we're together at the Bible studies in fellowship. We worship. We worship when we are singing. But we are also worshiping when we're in the office, when we're at work. We worship when we're alone and when we're with our families. We worship when we're alone in the car and that annoying driver in front of us cuts us up. We worship when we're alone at our computer with access to anything the internet has to offer. We worship when we are playing golf, or some of us are, are playing frisbee, or watching our favorite TV show, having a nap, having a read, hanging out with friends, eating lunches, or of all places, on the toilets. Our bodies are there, and so that should be where we worship because we have presented our bodies if we are giving our bodies wholly over to god we should worship wherever our bodies go which means everything and everywhere 24 7. so it kind of makes a mockery of the question where do you worship people ask that and i, I know it means which is the church you attend or uh, which church are you a member of? 
But biblically, we should answer that. That's everywhere we go. And it's the same kind of question and probably should have the same response. Where do you breathe? Because when your body goes, if you're alive, you breathe. Where do you breathe? What a strange question. Everywhere. Now, before I finish, I want to answer a uh, to address a question that's often put to us. And probably you might have raised this right, right at the start when I was asking those questions. Often asked in a mocking or incredulous voice uh, by the atheist or uh, the agnostic. And the question is, surely it's incredibly arrogant of God to create you to worship him. Surely it's incredibly arrogant of God to create these beings for the sole purpose of worshipping him and expect them to worship him. To that I would say that this question, surely it's incredibly arrogant of parents to have children. No one questions the right of parents to have children. That is one of the big social faux pas. You don't kind of question the right of children to have, sorry, parents to have children. Now, let me explain. Um, I once went to a workshop, I forget what it was about, but I remember this, uh, this man giving us a talk and he uh, was saying that he was eavesdropping on his young daughter. She must've been about five or six. Uh, and her, his daughter was talking to her friends and he was surprised and yeah, really pleased, uh, well, unsurprised but pleased to hear how she boasted about her father and how she said that she loved him you see that shouldn't surprise us should it i don't know whether you remember as a child being incredibly proud and boasting about your parents or you've you've dealt with children recently and you hear them boasting about their parents it goes a bit far sometimes my daddy can be up yours but you boast about what the job they can do. And it's the most natural thing in the world, isn't it? If we see a, some children and they, their parents have just arrived to pick them up, these are small children, if they don't run into their parents' arms and say, I love you, then we probably wonder how callously that parent had treated their child. That's love and a relationship that is pure and simple. When we were young, and maybe uh, now, we are still rightly proud of our parents and happily tell them what great parents they are. How much more natural it is, uh, is it of us to praise God, to tell him how much we love him and even how natural it is for us to worship him. He is God. We're not talking about man here. He is God. He is the creator. He created uh, everything that we see around us. I know of uh, many Christians who, are, uh, who, are, who have um, converted in different ways at their adult life. It's rarer that people are uh, converted in their adult life. But I, I know of one guy who was a chemistry uh, PhD and just realized that the wonder of creation was beyond uh, just chance. 
and many people have come to this this idea um, and just wondering at the world around us. Christianity drove the Renaissance scientists, the Renaissance artists, the revolution in uh, that time to study nature more because what it would do is it would increase their love and praise and worship of God. And because as humans, we were made to be in that relationship, that's the natural order of things, that we are in a relationship praising God. And because we were created to be in that, uh, that relationship, there is a need in us to worship something. And I'm going to go back to this, uh, this quote from Tim Keller. Everyone worships something because we were created to worship something. And uh, so I want to end on asking you, what is it that makes your week? What is it that you look forward to most? And it may not be that that, that your life revolves around. It may be something that you don't like that your life revolves around because it's your duty. I know sometimes some of you, for, for some of you, it's your children. And I hate to say it, but sometimes it, it does feel like duty, I'm sure. And, or it, it may be your work, but that's your, what your life revolves around. And ask yourself whether you are in fact worshipping it, rather than worshipping the God who created you, the God who gave you life, the God who died for you, the God who forgave your sins in order to bring you back into a loving relationship with him. The God who has given you and reserves a place for you in heaven. And the God who is waiting to hear you talk to him and to read his word. Let me pray. Father, we pray that uh, we can continue to see you in this world around us and just take joy in that and to look to you and praise you. We pray that you remind us uh, because we so easily forget that you have given your life for us, not just on a Sunday, not just at Bible studies, not just um, when we're around other Christians, or when we're praying in the morning and reading your word at different times. Lord, we pray that we remember you when we're in the office, when we're far away from you, when we're alone and when we're with other people, when we're getting distracted, when we're getting stressed at work, when we're finding life easy and when we're finding hard, life hard, Lord. We pray that you help us to remember you and what you've done and look back to your cross, which drives us to our knees in humility and looking forward to the heaven and the hope that you have given us and the love that you have shown for us and long for that, that day. And so let us worship you in all of those places, in everywhere we go, to be a witness for you and to give everything over to you. Our stress, our anxiousness, our cares, our worries, but also our love, our passion, 
our intellectual curiosity, our academic rigor. Let us give up that over to you and worship you through that. In Jesus' name, amen.